Father God, thank you so much for an opportunity to come together again and to study the word together. I pray tonight you open our heart. I pray you open our mind. I pray that what I say will be meaningful to everybody. And Lord God, what needs to stick in our heart will stick and find good ground. And that which is just opinions, Lord, may not find the ground, but it'll be blessing to all of us if what we hear tonight. I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Revelation chapter 18. We've got about six weeks left. I'm going to spend two weeks on eternity and what the millennial kingdom, a thousand years is going to look like and what eternity will look like. So I'm excited to share those with you. Chapter 18 tonight, I have a goal, and my goal tonight is this. My goal is to take everything I've said about the church, the Jew, the Gentile, the Antichrist, the kingdoms of the world, and to hopefully tie it in a nice little bag tonight and hand it to you where it may make a little sense of what all is going on. We're, we're hitting probably one of the final chapters before what we would call the end, before the return of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to try to do it a little different. I'm going to just read a short passage from Revelation 18. Then I'm going to save the end to read at the very end. I think by then it'll, it'll make more sense to you. And we're talking about this topic that we've looked at uh, in the last chapter called Mystery Babylon. Uh, this is the vision that John saw. So you really, if you look at it, it looks like something, you know, out of DC comic, Narnia kind of thing. But that was what he saw. And what we've landed on is that that uh, mystery that's there was a satanic, worldwide, demonic, political, and religious system. Uh, and we opened that up last week. And so tonight, I even want to open it more. So we're going to dive even deeper down the well and try to determine what's going on in our world that would remotely connect to this. Uh, because what I'm going to attempt to do tonight is to take our life here in 2021 and connect it back to a book that was uh, a vision over 2,000 years ago and I think he was looking probably right to the land and the time which we live right now. I'll try to do my best to show you that. Let's look at this. This is just real quickly as a recap. Here's the political rule of all the nations that have ruled the world. And we're going to talk to this mystery Babylon. Those are the religious uh, nations that God used to uh, punish his people for disobedience. It's very clear through the scripture that... Every time his people would rebel, God would use a nation to go in and punish them for, to bring them back to repentance. And these are the nations that were uh, used to always bring them back to a covenant God. And now we find ourselves in Revelation. Uh, we've been in that Rome, Constantine uh, kind of ended and now the Gentile rules of all the kingdoms we see in the earth. And then it ends with... Satan's rule, which is kind of where we're going to talk tonight. Chapter 18, if you will, let's turn there in your Bible. Revelation 18, 1 and 2, and then verse 3. So we're going to read three verses, then jump right into it. After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen. She's become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. 
for all the nations. So this is that worldwide moment. All the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world, so it's worldwide. It's not just a, a city alone. It's a worldwide thing that's happening. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury and the merchants of the world have grown rich. This is kind of the introduction to this mystery that we see of this. We find out that it's a city uh, in chapter 17. It's an actual city uh, where the devil makes his home. And now we come to chapter 18, and chapter 18 is pretty clear that this city is now going to fall, but it has something very interesting as it talks about this final city where Satan will rule. It says it's the home of demons and every foul spirit. I'll, I'll try to teach you why I believe they're all there. At this juncture, my, my opinion is every demon that has ever been on planet Earth heads for home. And uh, right now, Satan is roaming the Earth looking for people to devour but when we get here, it seems that every demon, every foul spirit that we've ever fought in spiritual warfare heads home. And I want to teach you tonight why I believe that is. I also need to say this to you. It's going to be very hard to understand what happens tonight if you don't believe in demons. Uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit about this because I think this is a, a very potent thing that maybe you'll understand what we're up against as the church I was talking to my mom today, and I said, I, I really believe that this generation of Christians has zero understanding of the demonic, uh, in America especially. In America, we don't talk about demons. We just put you on medicine. We send you to psychiatry. We get you on whatever we can. We dope you up, and we try to counsel it out of you. I'm not against any of that by any means. I'm for counseling and all of it if it works, but when we find it doesn't work, a lot of times I think maybe we are up against evil spirits. Spirits that rule over cities. Spirits that rule over homes. Spirit, spirits that just attack and come. But the beauty of the kingdom of God is we rule and we reign. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But maybe that may make you feel like, I really serve God, why all the hell? Why is my life never working? Why can't I ever get over this hump? Why does everything in my life seem to fall apart? Everything I touch, and, and I'm, I'm not saying in all cases, but, but in many cases, I think this is just me. I think what, what I feel in my spirit, like heavy in my spirit, is that it, is it devils have just permeated our culture. And we, don't, we have no clue, right? I mean, we're just clueless to it. It's, just, it's the norm today. So much so that the church doesn't even know how to do warfare. I would dare say, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to guess. Most of us in this room who've grown up in church and who've been in church and who love Jesus may have never even confronted a devil. May have never looked a satanic spirit in the eye. The thing about this, though, is almost every other culture believes in the spirit world. Uh, you go down into South America, you go to Haiti, you go to these places where uh, there's a very animistic belief. That means they believe in the spirit world. The spirit world talks to you, inhabits you, possesses you. And there is that here in our culture too. We would call it Satanism and things of that nature. So there is a slight understanding 
uh, you know, in that. So I don't want to dwell too much on it, but I do want you to understand that that I believe what we're up against in America is not a, a political party. I believe what we're up against in America is an all-out onslaught of the demonic world that it literally knows its time is short. And they're going to do everything they can do to bring down everything they can bring down, to destroy everything they can destroy, every marriage, every health, every church, everything they can touch to destroy. They will. And I, I believe that's where we are. I believe that's why many of us in this room would scratch our head at our culture and go, where are we headed? Where in God's name do we ever think we would be talking about the stuff we talk about now that is just the norm for the 6th and 7th and 8th graders today? And we scratch our head and go, how do, how do these kids know all this? We would have never assumed in the 1960s or 70s we would be fighting what we're fighting now. And I'll tell you, it's not culture. It's devilish. It's a demonic war that's going. You know, it comes through culture. I'll teach you that tonight. It comes through culture. That's how it has to work. Religion comes through culture. And here's the sad thing, and I think we're here now. When, when we leave religion, like Catholicism, Protestantism, all the isms, Buddhism, Hinduism, we, we leave that, here's the deadly part. Once we leave religion and culture becomes religion, we're in for trouble. Once the culture, the global culture, begins to become the atmosphere of, of religion, uh, you can see from all over the world, we call it now the cancel culture. It's not just because somebody out in California got ticked that you use the word boy. It's because my belief is there's a demonic onslaught to, to bring a culture that will bring the rise of the Antichrist because that's what we said is that this beast system will sit on this cultural thinking. The Antichrist rises with this thinking. Like there is a global thinking of culture and the Antichrist rises up on that global thought system. And I believe that's where we are. So let's, let's jump through it and see what we can do. This was last week. I'll give a little more on it tonight that help you. But we said Babel uh, translates the gate of God. And we go back to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to go back there a lot tonight to try to show you why this chapter 18 is so powerful to destroy it. Like God is going to annihilate it. This is going to be the last city on planet earth that God ever deals with in judgment. Will be Babylon in chapter 18. Everyone as we read it later you'll see that everyone has become drunk by this city, this cultural thinking, they become drunk on it, used words like uh, prostitution, adultery, luxuries, and things of that nature. But it was the headquarters of Satan's government uh, back in Genesis 11. I'll teach you later why I believe that. You're going to see this later, so just take a visual note of it. We have talked and used this same map the whole time. This has kind of been our go-to map. And the pink area is the promised land. So shoot your eyes on it because it will be very important at the end of where we're going with this mystery Babylon. Last week we kind of ended here with this thought that the Garden of Eden, based on historical and biblical evidence, was down there at the Persian Gulf with the flashing E for the Garden of Eden. It's where Adam and Eve were made. It's where Adam and Eve, the uh, tree of life was. 
And then when they sinned, they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden and men started traveling east and they landed in a plane after uh, the flood of Noah. Noah's kids get off the boat and when Noah's kids get off the boat, they travel to Babylon, they populate and everybody ends up in Babylon and then there's the other city, Jerusalem. This is the battle of the end, these two cities. I'll teach you why tonight. Why these two cities are going to be the final two cities that battle. But let's look at this. This is on your worksheet. I just want to define from what we read so that we all kind of understand. And then what I'm going to do is take each nugget out of that and then define it even more so it becomes really clear and we understand what's going on. First off, Babylon the Great in Revelation 17, 1 through 5 is described as the mother of all prostitutes. That's an interesting thought that you would define a city and the name of the city would be the mother of all prostitutes. In other words, everything that would be demonic, everything that would be against God comes out of this city. If we go all the way back to Babylon, what we learn is that every bit of religion, every false religion, every idol worship, every demonic thing that ever happened can be traced back to Babylon and out of that, it grew into a worldwide problem. Number two, we find this. It's a great city that rules over the kings of the world. So this mystery Babylon, this city we're reading about tonight, is not just a city proper, but it is a city that culturally, in some way, impacts the whole world, which I don't think anybody would know how this would work. Is again, what I said, most... Christians who have taught think that's Rome, the Catholic Church, uh, you know, over the whole world and out of the Vatican, but uh, I'm, I'm not inclined to quite believe that. The third is, and I read this, it's the home and the hideout of demons. So I want to take these phrases that we've learned, uh, mother of prostitutes and the home of demons, and bring you to a point of why God is going to utterly destroy this city in chapter 18. So let's look at this topic. Why would, why would God allow us to see this city and use the phrase the mother of prostitutes? To us, it, you know, we, we may have Fulton Industrial on our mind. You know, I mean, we think of those kind of things in our setting. But for God to give a vision to John... And John writes down that this mystery, this city, this woman is the mother of all prostitutes. I want to teach you what we can learn from this that will show you, and again, my, my take is to show you the culture that's going to develop out of this city that's going to permeate the world, that is going to be the final way the humans think before the Antichrist will rise. But this is the beginning, the mother of all prostitutes. To, to really understand it, where are we going to go? <laughs> Genesis, right? <laughs> That's what I encourage you to do. Uh, go back to the first time. So the first place we really have a mention of prostitution is in Genesis chapter 34. I would encourage you to read it tonight. It is a very interesting story. It's too long to read. We don't have time. But I would encourage you to read it. It, it, is, it is just amazing. The story goes something like this. Dinah, who is Jacob's daughter, decides that she's going to go visit a friend. And as she goes to visit a friend, along the way, a gentleman named Shechem rapes her. 
At the end of the rape, Shechem decides that he loves her and wants to marry her. So Shechem goes to his father and says, I want to marry this chick I raped. I love her. I'm crazy in love with her. So Shechem comes and goes to Daddy Jacob, whose daughter was raped, and says to Daddy Jacob, my boy raped your daughter, but he fell in love with her while he's raping her. He wants to marry her now. Let's hook up a bargain. Jacob's not too inclined to do that because Jacob says this, you people are not circumcised. You're different than we are. We are the people of God. We're circumcised. Y'all aren't. He kept it to himself because his boys were out in the field working. The boys come home. The boys find out sister has been raped. So the boys do what probably any natural boy would do for their sister. They're going to take revenge, but they're going to do it in a very uh, deceitful way. So the boys go to see Shechem's father and they say, Hey, we cannot let your boy marry our daughter because we're a different people. You remember I told you out of Babylon, God brought a different people out. He brought out Abraham. All these people go and he pulls out Abraham and out of Abraham he develops this nation who we would call the Jews, the Hebrews. Well, Jacob says, uh, we can't marry because we're different. We're circumcised. We have a covenant with God. And the boys say to Shechem's dad, uh, yeah, man, we cannot let your sister marry us. We're so sorry. And I would like you to turn in your Bible there because I want to read at least one scripture that I think is very meaningful for the topic. So Genesis chapter 34. <clears throat> and here is what the boys, the brothers say, verse 15. Here's our solution. All right? So this is the brothers. The brothers have gone to the daddy of the boy that raped their sister. Here's their answer. Here is our solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we'll take your daughters for ourselves. And then this phrase, we will live among you and become what? One people. Now here's the end of the story. The end of the story is they shake hands on it and agree. So Shechem goes back to his dad and all the brothers and all the people in that village decide to be circumcised. Imagine that, you know. It's not like modern circumcision. They use a little flint rock. So they take all the men, and because all the men wanted to marry into Jacob, and Jacob says, you can't because we're different. We're circumcised. We're the people of God. But if you circumcise yourself, we could intermarry. And then he uses the phrase, become one. So now they do it. They circumcise themselves. But what we don't know is, we find out through the story, that uh, Levi and Simeon, while the men are healing, go into the town and murder every man in the town while they're healing because while they were healing, they couldn't fight. So the whole thing was a setup. The whole thing was a setup to teach us something about this thing of prostitution and why this nation Babylon in the end would be called the mother of prostitution. I think it goes back to this to show us the meaning. Here's the first meaning. The first meaning of prostitution was it was a defilement of God's people. Dinah was defiled. 
And it wasn't just like today you get raped and maybe they go to jail. It, it was a literal like you deserve death. You've been defiled. You're dirty. Nobody's ever going to marry you. You're used goods. You're washed up. And so what we learned from this thing of prostitution, it wasn't just a girl who had a bad day. It was the story of Dinah that teaches us that there's coming a defilement of God's people. So when we hear the word prostitution, we have to think this, that the enemy is going to work his magic to defile God's people. That's how he's going to do it. The second one is this. It teaches us that there was a distinction of God's people and it was called circumcision. It means nothing to us today. We're Gentiles. It has no bearing on us at all except maybe in the medical field if, if a mother would choose to do it for her son. But to the Jew, it was very much a very meaningful thing. It plays out all through the New Testament too as they discuss it because to the Jew, this was uh, not just a rite of passage but the fact that you belonged to God. You were different. You were his people. This was his covenant with you. Every male had to be circumcised. If you want to know how important this is to God, when they went across the river to go to Jericho, God said you can't even march around until every male that's a warrior becomes circumcised. I will not let you fight the battle of Jericho until every male 20 years old becomes circumcised. It was the hill of Gilgal. And they had to sit there for several days and heal up before they could do war. So to God, this was very important. I'll tell you how important if you want to study. It was so important that he was going to kill Moses because Moses would not circumcise his child. And God comes down and said, dude, I'm just going to kill him. So it's not just something that's medical to God. This was the distinction of his people. Now Paul in the New Testament will teach us in the book of Romans that Circumcision, I think it's the book of Romans, that circumcision is that of the heart now. It, it, it proves you belong to God because your heart has been circumcised, not your genital area. Your heart has been circumcised. You belong to God. You're different. You're not like anybody else. You are a new creation. You're born again. The old is gone. The new has come. Your heart has been circumcised. You no longer belong to the devil. If he comes against you, he's trespassed on God's property. If he touches you or your children or your home, he has touched God because you are distinctly the property of God. And this is what Dinah teaches us. Is that there was a group of people who were the property of God. And the enemy came to defile them and then to do this. This is very interesting and to remove the distinction to infiltrate so much that you wouldn't even know God's people we would bring the world into God's people so much and we would marry ourselves to the world that you would not even be able to tell who God's people were and who the world was because we would all act just alike so that's the story of Dinah the second story is the story of Gomer. I've actually taught it here, so it may be a little more meaningful. But it gives us God's view of prostitution. Remember, we're holding on the word prostitution to define why God hates this city so much and what's going on in the world we live today. The story of Gomer comes from Hosea chapter 1. It's a very interesting story. People laugh at it. I mean, often it is very comical when they laugh at it because God asked a man to go and marry a hooker 
and, and, and sleep with her and marry her. So he marries a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. That ought to tell you something. And uh, he marries Gomer. <clears throat> and when he marries Gomer, they have two children, Lo-Ami Lo and Lo-Ramu, something like that. I'd have to go look it up. But uh, here's, here's what we learn from this story. God tells Hosea in Hosea 1, chapter 1, he says, I want you to go marry a prostitute because it's going to be a sign that my people, Israel, those are his people, his circumcised people, they are acting like a prostitute because they've turned their back on me and they're not faithful anymore. So when God uses the term prostitute, he's not just talking about a guy that sleeps with a girl. He's connecting that to his people who turn their faithfulness away from him and chase themselves or their lust. And God calls that, you're acting like a prostitute. I have married myself to you in salvation, but you consistently follow yourself. And he says, I want you to marry this prostitute because it's going to be a sign to this nation that they've turned their back on me and they've prostituted themselves with other gods. So this is his view. Prostitution isn't just getting raped by a guy and then being like a prostitute or selling your body. To God, it is turning your back on his covenant ways, chasing yourself, and following after other gods while still claiming that you are his. Now that's, in, in a nutshell, if you want a, a story of the Old Testament, that's 95% of the Old Testament is these People who circumcise with God, his people, prostitute themselves through every book. That's why the prophets have to come along. That's why everybody's trying to hear this and that. And, and we read it and it's just so foreign. Like, man, it just seems like God's ticked off in the Old Testament. But he is. His people have prostituted themselves with other nations. As we read on about Hosea, what we find out is... Um, uh, it should say Hosea still there, I'm sorry. The distinction of God's people as, and then here's the two kids that they birthed out, not loved and not my people. So when Hosea hooks up with Gomer, who's a prostitute, which is an object lesson that the entire group of people have turned their back on God, they birth out a child. And the children they birth out are first, not my people, and I don't even love them. It makes you understand now how Jesus could say in the New Testament, you will stand in front of me and say, did we not prophesy, did we not, did we not do miracles, cast out devils in your name? And he says, depart from me, I don't even have a clue who you are. That's mind-blowing when God knows everything that he could actually tell a human, I don't even know who you are. It's not that God doesn't know who they are. It's that in the distinction of identifying them, they are not his people. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know that's Bubba. It's that God says, I don't even know you. Why? You're not my people. You've never come under my covering. You've never become part of my family. This sounds rude. You're dead to me. You're not even in this family, which is the purpose of Jesus Christ. So in the view of God's prostitu prostitution, his view is the same thing. It's a distinction of God's people as not being loved 
and is not even being his people. So let's lump the two together. Here's what we get about Mystery Babylon. What we understand is there's a distinction of God's people that will try to be perverted by the world and the world system so that the people of God marry themselves to the world, lose their distinction as the people of God, even to the point that they don't, aren't even acknowledged as being God's people. So that's kind of where Mystery Babylon, and now why God in Revelation 18, it's seemingly such a violent end. Let's look at this because this is uh, very meaningful. It's also called the home of demons. Again, a casual reading, it's just, yeah, okay, whatever. Demons, you believe in them, you don't. So let's kind of pull this out. So we've got prostitution here. We'll take this hand and look at the home of demons. Uh, to understand it, let me just read it again. And I'll, I'm going to pull out some passages of Scripture from the Old and the New Testament to tie together a thought that I think will help you. After all this, I saw another angel... Come down from heaven, and here's what he shouted. Babylon has fallen, the great city. And this is the phrase we want to hold on now. It's a home for demons and every foul spirit. And I really pondered this for a while. Like, God, you just got to open my heart to this thing. I mean, help me understand it. And so when I prayed that, something rose in my heart, and this scripture popped in my heart. When an evil spirit, this is Jesus talking from the book of Matthew. When an evil spirit leaves a person, so Jesus himself believes in demons, so let's don't act like, you know, maybe it's not a Christian thing. Jesus himself encountered them and likely, you know, at least let us know they're here on planet Earth. We, we could probably debate how they got here, but at least we could admit they are. He said, then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So once it leaves a person, that demon can talk, that demon can think, and that demon can reason. And he says, once I leave, I'm going to go find or look for a resting place, but I won't find any. So he says, I'm going to return to the person I came from. So the demon returns and finds its former, and I highlight this for you, very key. Demons are looking for homes. I'm not talking about homes like 1013, wherever you live. I'm talking about homes, your body, the temple of the Lord. He finds it empty, swept, and in order. And so the spirit, watch how smart they are. This will show you how quickly we could go from Adam and Eve to a perverted world in six chapters. Because God kills them by chapters. You think we'd at least get halfway through the Old Testament before the flood. We don't even get to chapter 6. So chapter 6, you will see why the entire world needed to be killed. Because once a spirit understands, I found a home, it will run the gamut of all other spirits to populate humanity as quickly as possible. And so the evil spirit comes back, finds seven other spirits, and they all enter the person and they do what there? They live there. They live there. So don't think this is just a weird thing here. We believe Jesus lives in us. We say, have you, have, has Jesus made his home in your heart? That's our Christian lingo. But understand, this isn't just Christian lingo because demons literally make their home in humans. They possess humans. 
They cause humans to do things humans wouldn't want to do. Maybe we see a shooter on TV that shoots something up, and you hear, this was years ago, where the young shooter said, I heard voices in my head telling me I had to murder these people. Well, what we would say as Christians is the voices in his head, science would say schizophrenia, we would say probably a demonic spirit had inhabited that young fella and was living there. And, and then look what it says. And so the person is what? Worse off. So notice this. Once demons understand what they can do with you or understand what they can do with a group of people, a group of humans, they work in tandem to make it as worse as it can be for those humans that open themselves up to it. All right, so now this is Jesus talking, so let's, let's run back and see this. This is Genesis 6. This is probably one of the, in theology, one of the biggest statements of where demons come from and what was going on. So ponder this. Why would God annihilate an entire race of humans and leave eight people? You know, most on the surface, he was ticked at him. He even says he was angry with him. He wished he would have never made them. But God, in, in, a, in a strange way, can forgive. We know that. God can forgive. But what we have here is something interesting. Verse 4, in those days and sometime after. Now remember, here's a thought for you. God says, before I return, it'll be just like this. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be right before I come back. So here it is. This is the days of Noah. In those days and sometimes, Jotnephilites, those were giants, lived on the earth for wherever the sons of God, and that word sons of God in the Hebrew, 95% of the time will translate it as an angel, not as a human being. It's going to translate as an angel every single time with maybe exception of a couple the angels had intercourse with women. So here's the strange thing. Now we get a picture that not only the demonic world can inhabit human beings, but the demonic world can mate with them. The angels could come down and mate with human beings. I know that's way outside of our weirdness of our you know, thinking, but it's just a, a truth to me. And now what they did is they gave birth to children who became heroes. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness. In other words, once this happened, the human race became exceedingly wicked to the point that everything they thought, everything they did, all of it was totally evil. I believe the reason God annihilated an entire race of people off the planet except Noah, my opinion, Noah was the only man in his family left who were not infiltrated by the devil and by the evilness of his kingdom to totally ruin God's people so God's people would never be different and if they're not different, they can't bring the seed of Jesus Christ. If I can ruin the humans and make them not distinct and I can mate with them and so that their DNA is never going to be what could come to the line of Jesus, I win. And so I believe because Satan is so brilliant that he almost pulled it off by perverting the entire human race and God just steps in and says, look, our only hope now, we just got to kill him and save the one remaining family. Now after God does that, the one remaining family, Seth, Shem, I mean Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three boys of Noah, they come off the ark 
and they populate the world. And from Genesis 9, it's a quick snap of your finger, but from Genesis 9:10, we wind up in chapter 11 where all of the children of Noah have come to this city called Babel. And everybody at this city of Babel, and I want to tell you what I think, and here's a thought. This is my thought. Remember, demons need a home. When every human on planet Earth was destroyed, the demon spirits that possessed them needed to possess a new location. And they needed a new home. That's what Jesus says. They're always looking for a home. This is why when Jesus cast the demons out of the guy in the New Testament, what did they say? Man, please give us a home. Just let us go to the pigs. They need a home. That's the only way they can operate. So once the entire race of humans is gone, let's not be naive and think that all the demon spirits are gone, that all the angels that fell with the devil are gone. Let's just assume that by what we know that if a demon's looking for a home and demons possessed humans before the flood, that still there's a whole population of demons even though there's only eight people left. And my belief is those demons needing a home and needing a location all showed up at the city called Babel. And here's what the Bible says about that. Genesis 11.1, at one time, how many of the people... All of them. Every one of the humans now have gathered together, speaking the same language. They found a plane in the land of Babylon, and what did they do? They settled. What I believe is going on is that the devil, once again, tried to take the seeds of humanity to destroy it again, took all the humans to the Tower of Babel, begin to infiltrate them. They begin to seek after gods, other gods. God came down and said, man, we got to get rid of them. I can't do another flood. Uh, So uh, here's what we're going to do. Since I can't kill them with a flood, I told them I wouldn't do that. I'm just going to disperse them all. I'm not going to let them come together because if they come together, evil will just permeate the world. So he disperses them, as I said last week, into the nations of the earth they go. But as they go to the nations of the earth, what are they carrying with them? The demons, the devils that have to go with humans. So wherever the humans go, ergo the devils. They need humanity to work their work. No different than God needs us to work his work. And so they settle in the land of Babylonia. God scatters them out. They go. And then what I said last week is out of that group of people, the next chapter or so, It is the next chapter. Chapter 12, God pulls out a human to do what with that human Abraham? What is he going to do with Abraham? He's going to make a distinction that Abraham is what? His people. So this whole thing of a distinction of my people is critical. (laughs) It's what this whole battle is about, a distinction of his people. God wants his people different than Satan's people. You're to look different, be different. You're to altogether be different. God has been trying to do it all alone. So then what do we have the rest of the Old Testament? Satan's constantly trying to infiltrate God's people, Dinah, infiltrate God's people, Hosea, and he's trying to turn them to look like his people. So there's a fight between Satan's distinction and God's distinction, and air, Satan wants to corrupt them so much that you won't even be able to tell the difference in the two. 
So this battle has been going on a long time. Fast forward. Here's my thought of the Tower of Babel and why Babylon is so critical in God's thinking. Demons have always been looking for a home from the Tower of Babel to present-day governments. The devil has always sought a home and a people through which to work. Anybody want to uh, say also, if we flip the script, God has always been looking for a home since the Tower of Babel up into present-day governments. The Heavenly Father has always sought a home in a people to do His work. (laughs) Today, it's called the local church. God is looking for a home where He can establish His power and His spirit, where He can make a distinction to all the other people of the world, that those people who call themselves my church are different than anybody else on planet Earth. They walk in my power. They walk in my authority. They walk in my ability. What does the devil do? The devil looks at this group of people called out, the church, in the book of Acts. He called us out, called us by his name. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The moment God took the Gentiles and the Jews and and put them into a body and gave us the distinction that God inhabited humans, not just demons anymore. God inhabits humans now. You better know the devil's not a dummy. The first thing he does is to infiltrate the camp, to prostitute the people of God, to get them perverted, to make it where in this body you would not be able to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We cuss alike, we drink alike, we sleep around alike, we get drunk alike, we smoke alike, we live alike, we cuss, we, we do everything and then we come on Sunday and go, man, don't you love God? Aren't you glad he's a good God? Aren't you glad he forgives us of our sins? Well, who wouldn't be? Of course we are. But when you walk out the door, you're to walk out the door different. You're not to walk out the door a better you, but a different you. And yet in 2021, across the globe of America, what we have is a prostituted Christianity. A Christianity, you can't even tell the difference between God's people and the world's people. We're all act just the same. We'll cuss you out just like everybody else. We'll sleep around just like everybody else. Addicted to porn just like everybody else. And we wonder what's going on. It's not because preachers are bad and American religion has been trying to take your money in an offering. It's because demons have infiltrated the people of God so that they themselves use God's people to do their work rather than God's work. It's why churches split. It's why we can't get along with one another. It's why there's denominations on every corner because demonic things come in to rob the kingdom of God from doing the work of God. So that's just my opinion. You like it, great. You don't, feed me. (laughs) Let's look at this, the wine of adulteries. Here's the scripture. This goes back a chapter into chapter 17. One of the seven angels who poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke, come with me, I want to show you, here's the word, the judgment that's going to come on the prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world, and here's the phrase, have committed adultery with her and the people who belong to the world, there's the word belong, are drunk with her immorality. 
So what we see now is that there's coming a system in the world that will take over the world and the world will become drunk with the immorality and the adultery. Meaning this, we're not thinking, don't think sex here. When you see immorality and adultery, from God's perspective, you need to think they turn their back on me, they become unfaithful to me, they chase their own selves, they are not filled with me, and they run after their own immorality. And it will take over the whole world. In other words, there will be a culture that hits the world, planet Earth, that will go into the hearts of people, that will become faithless against God, that will change out. They're not any different. There's nothing different about them. They will love God in word only and feeling only. There'll be no distinction that they really are God's people except lip confession. There will be no power. There will be no results. There will be no healings. There will be no miracles. There'll definitely not ever be a casting out of a devil. We won't even teach that stuff anymore because that's so archaic. We'll just let it breed and wonder why churches just aren't exploding. Why aren't we just growing? If the message we have is so incredible, we should just be packing out churches. You're forgiven. The God of heaven holds nothing against you. You can live forever. You would think it would just... But we can't pile up because so much demonic warfare is going on. Most people look at the church and go, yeah, man, not me. No, none of them are real. Uh, There's no way. So, you know, it hurts us. Here's a scripture to understand the wine of her adultery. You have to go back to Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesies this about, again, the nation Israel. You have committed adultery on every high mountain. And then he tells us, this is God's perspective prophetically, what adultery is. You've worshipped idols because you were unfaithful to me. I would say most of us in the room in our walk with God at one time or another have been unfaithful to him. We call it a slip-up. We call it, eh, I kind of backslid. Yeah, I just, oh, it's been a bad week. But God doesn't call it a slip up in a bad week. God calls it, you're committing adultery. You're not faithful to me. You're cheating on me. You're unfaithful to me. And yet we present it in such a way now that that would be even hard to preach because we so tell everybody you're loved regardless. God loves you regardless. The truth is, sure he does. You would think he would not love you regardless? He died for you. But just because he loves you regardless doesn't mean he approves of you regardless. He may love you regardless, but it doesn't mean I reprove of you. Uh, My wife loved me regardless when I fell into sin, but she definitely didn't approve of it. I had to go through counseling and help and talk and restoration and all the... Stuff. Well, the same is true with the church. When we're unfaithful, we're to say, "Yeah, it's been a bad week," and you know, I, I know God. He He's patient with me, and we don't really understand. If you looked in the mirror and looked at yourself and said, "I'm an adulterer in God's eyes," it would probably make you really want to change. If your husband or wife came home and said, "I just want you to know I love you, but I've been sleeping with another woman," it would crush you. I hope. If your husband said, I've, I've, been, I've been sleeping with another woman, it would crush you. You would say, what about me? Well, if that's a human response, think how God feels. You tell me you love me. You come and worship. You give your money. You take communion. You do all these great things, but I don't see it in you. 
you, you're cheating on me. You, you go out those doors and you cheat on me. And this is this system of Babylon. This isn't a Pentecostal preacher preaching to you. This is why God is ticked at the system in the city of Babylon. This is why he's going to utterly destroy it. And this is why it shows up in Revelation just like it did in Genesis because it started in Genesis. It's going to end in Revelation. Everything started, there will always be a finishing. Here's the mystery Babylon. My belief now is mystery Babylon is not just a city alone. It is a cultural way to think. All right? So when you hear mystery Babylon, a lot of times we think, well, it's a mystery because we don't know where the city's located. But I want to give you this thinking tonight, that perhaps mystery Babylon is a mystery because it's a way of thinking globally. It's a global mystery that the entire world can shift to think a certain way. Usually, you will have globally pockets of people who think differently. Even in our own culture here in America, Southerners think different than Northerners. And, but what you're finding out now is there's a real push to uh, make a distinction that no matter where you live, you all need to think the same. We don't care if you're a Southerner or a Northerner. You all need to think the same. And if you don't think like us, we cancel you. We shut your business down. We take your my pillow off TV. We're done with you. So let's not think that this is just some, you know, I hear it a lot. It's a liberal agenda. It is not a liberal agenda. It is a demonic mystery of Babylon that's propagating. Now watch. Want, and see if this doesn't bear witness with you. Once demons know we'll go for it, they will grab other demons and it will exponentially begin to change. Would you tell me in the last 10 years, have you seen our country and world exponentially become perverted? Exponentially become perverted to the point that we marvel that there could be such perversion. I marvel that a 7th grader in my daughter's class could be bisexual, pansexual, I marvel that we can't even say the word boy anymore. I marvel at the perversion. I marvel that they cancel Dr. Seuss, but they praise Cardi B. I marvel at that. And, and yet it's just the norm today. It's so accepted today. It's so accepted to have sex before marriage. It's so accepted. Even, even they put an article in the Atlanta Constitution Journal that churches need to stop this purity teaching because it puts too much pressure on kids. It puts too much pressure. Your child wants to be a girl, let them be a girl. They want to sleep around, let them do it. That's how they explore. That's how they get to know. This is a system. This isn't an American agenda. It's not a liberal agenda. It is a system of government of Satan's kingdom that is infiltrating our world. Here is what I think Mystery Babylon is. I'll leave it up there. It's long. It's a worldwide cultural rejection of God attempting to defile the whole world through sexual perversion and demonic influence. I'm, you know, I don't tell you what to do, but it would be a great uh, study to see how many movies, music, videos have a very sexuality perversion to them and a demonic influence behind them. And even the artists that sing them. I'm not trying to tell you what to listen to, but it's, it's interesting. 
And the goal is to remove any distinction between God's people and Satan's people. This is the goal. Right? A cultural rejection of God. Mystery Babylon. Now, ponder this with me. This beast that we saw, this beast, that, that dragon, this woman, Mystery Babylon, the prostitute, sits on top of it. What it teaches us is that the Antichrist is going to rise to power with this sitting on top of it. Before the Antichrist can come, we often say, well, the church needs to be raptured or whatever. Here's my take on it. Before the Antichrist comes, there has to be a worldwide cultural rejection of God so you won't know the people of God versus Satan's and there has to come a worldwide sexual perversion. He's going to rise up on it. And so I would say, I don't know how soon Jesus is coming, but I would say it feels pretty good in my spirit that we're further along this than we've ever been. There is a perversion today like we've never known. You would have never thought you would have heard child sex trafficking. You would have never thought a man last week on, online got arrested who worked uh, to try to with kids, but he had molested and pornography with children and uh, just, just crazy. You would never think it, but Mystery Babylon, it's working. It's, work. it's not just men and women. It's working to pull him up. Here's the conclusion. And, and I'm going somewhere with this thought so it'll make sense. Once the majority of human population is destroyed in judgment, does everybody remember the bowl judgments? We went through them. We went through the seals. We went through the bowl judgments. And what did we say that the whole world, three quarters of the world's population is what? Dead. They're annihilated. Well, if three quarters through the seals and the judgments and the trumpets, if three quarters of the world's population, I think we said that's about five billion people. If five billion people are dead, where do the demons go? If there's no humans to inhabit, where do they go? What are they looking for? They're looking for home. And what does the Bible tell us that Babylon in the Old Testament is for demons? It's home. This will be the final battle. God will annihilate humans off the planet just as he did with Noah he will annihilate him through the plagues that come, through the trumpets that come. Three-quarters of the world population is over. Those demons have to go somewhere. They seek a home. What do they do? My belief is they all run home. They all run back to daddy, Satan, and they populate in the land of Babylon. And they begin to do their work from there. And they begin to do all that they can do before their final destruction now here's something I want to tell you. This city Babylon that is going to come against Jerusalem. Remember the two cities last week. I want to share something with you now that I think will open your eyes to see what's been going on the whole time. Why there needed to be a distinction of churches. Why there needs to be a distinction of Jews and Gentiles. I hope what I end with will make sense of that. Revelation 22, we're in the future now. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter the gates of the city. The gates of the city is the new heaven that comes down. 
They can eat the fruit from what? The tree of life. There it is again, the Garden of Eden. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love life. This is a thought that may help somebody. You remember when Jesus called the woman dog and everybody gets ticked? Why would Jesus be so mean to call her a dog? It's just simply he's letting her know you're not our people. I'm not being rude to you. I'm just letting you know you're not our people. You're not in the city with us. You're, a, you're an outsider. That's what he meant by that. He said the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie are outside the heavenly city, which is what I'm going to get to in the future. I believe we will see the lake of fire. I believe we will see the smoke of their torment coming up. As we're in the city, we will look outside the city and see it. Now let's define the city. Back up a chapter. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for their husband. And when he measured it, he found it was what? Yes, yeah, a perfect square. It was as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and its width and its height are all 1,400 miles pretty big here's my thinking anybody want to gander how far Jerusalem is from Babylon almost it's half of it it's half the square it's 734 miles from Jerusalem about that to the old ruins of Babylon that's half of the square the other half goes the other way when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down it will come down, and this is, I put it in red, the heavenly Jerusalem will take up that much space. That's how big the city will be. It will encompass all the land where we talked about the churches. It will encompass Egypt where they were born. It will encompass Babylon where they were gone. The reason the devil has been working overtime for this piece of land, that it was the promised land. That's why it's in pink. It was the promised land. Here, here is the... The picture I gave you of that promised land at the very beginning. I wanted, matter of fact, I want to just run back and show you something. Here's the promised land that he promised Abraham when he pulled him out of Babylon and, and called him. He said, I'm going to give you this land. There's the dimensions of the land. Now I want you to look. The moment the devil sets up a kingdom called Babylon, I'm just going to put Babylon's kingdom when they ruled. And just see if it makes you wonder. There's the whole area that Babylon ruled during their reign in 560 B.C. They ruled the entire promised land. The devil has wanted this from the beginning of time. He wanted to control Eden. He wants to control the promised land. He wants to control the city of David. They fought over it the whole time. Now here's what's interesting. I took a, uh, a little opaque over it if we opaque the city of God that comes down it encompasses everything that the devil has tried to call his kingdom and the Bible says outside the city is the lake of fire if we go outside the city at 1400 miles square we are sitting on the city of Babylon my belief is, is that everyone who rejects Jesus, 
who turned their back on him, who never came to him, will be tossed into the lake of fire, which is where Babylon was located, which is right outside the city. And forever and ever and ever, they will burn outside the city, my belief is, in torment and utter darkness. And now where they are, I don't know. I'm speculating. But I just think it's an interesting thing that the city's 1,400 square. And if I put the center of the square on Jerusalem, it hits the tip of Babylon. I think God's been trying to tell us all along, this battle is not about where you go to church. This battle is about a devil who hates a God. And both are trying to use humans to accomplish their kingdom. And you will either be used for one or you will be used for the other. If you say yes to God, he uses you. If you say no to God, it's a given fact. You're being used by the devil. Whether he inhabits you or not, indwells in you or not, possesses you or not, if you reject God, you're raising your hand that I am on the team of the devil. There are no other teams. Jesus will say this. I know this stings a bit, but Jesus says it. He says there are two fathers. There is the father of the devil, and then there's the father God. Both of them are fathers. Both of them have children. Both of them are working a plan. Both of them are trying to get a kingdom. So when we reject God, we're raising our hand. I'm choosing to be part of the devil's kingdom. And we would say, how could that be? I'm a good person. I mean well. I've never hurt anyone. True. We're not saying that because you're part of the devil's kingdom, you're a terrible person. We're saying that if you reject God, it's a given fact. There's only two families and there needs to be a distinction. Become born again and be part of God's kingdom. Reject God and become part of Satan's kingdom. But the two never need to intermingle. It's why he'll say things like this. Don't let a Christian marry an unchristian. You don't need to intermingle. It's not because we're racist. It's because I don't need the two camps intermingling. Because once they intermingle, it destroys the identity of who I am. Be different, be holy, be strong, be pure. It's the kingdom of God. Well, I hope that helped you. I hope that blessed you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for tonight. I pray that what I said helps. I pray that what I said blesses. And I pray that what I said opens our eyes. And now, Father God, as I read this passage, I pray that it would be very meaningful to us as we see what you're going to do to this city that has tried to ruin people and to ruin your people. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Would you turn to Revelation 18 and let's read it together as we conclude. I pray now that it becomes a little more meaningful to you. 24 verses. After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority. And the earth grew bright with its splendor. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon has fallen. That great city has fallen. She's become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit. A hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. And I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brew twice as much for her. 
She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I'm a queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow. I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. That's kind of my belief of the lake of fire there. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, How terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. I want to make this one thought. I believe that the, way, the only way it's going to end is God's going to have to end it. Our job here is to keep it at bay and win as many people as we can. But it's so powerful, God is going to be the one that ends it. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, and fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thion and wood, ivory goods and objects made of expensive wood and bronze, iron, and marble. It's a beautiful thing, right? We, we think the devil is ugly. She also brought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. That's all the stuff they brought to Jesus. She tries to smell just like him. Wine and olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, wagons, and bodies. That is human slaves. The fancy things you love so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendors are gone forever, never to be yours again. There's that adultery. Everything they ran after and chased after is gone. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in the finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. I think this is exactly what the devil was offering Jesus in the wilderness. I'm going to give you every bit of this if you would worship me. And all the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend and they will say, Where is there another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads and show their grief and they will cry out. I want you to know they're not crying for repentance. They're crying because they're ticked. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners become wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it's all gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven. And people of God, there's that distinction. And apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her for your sake. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone. He threw it into the ocean and shouted, Just like this, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, flutes, and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsman, no trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets of God's holy people, and the blood of the people slaughtered all over the world. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? 
Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.